Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. And we read for our text two verses that are not together, verse 9 and verse 14. Verse 9 and verse 14. Hide not thy face far from me, Put not not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. This is a psalm of David, and in the psalms we have the heart breathings of a child of God, and a man here after God's own heart. Sometimes we might be perplexed in our own lives, in our own feelings, that there are so many contrary feelings. On one hand, we might feel very strong about something, We might be able to have a clear profession of what we believe and how we trust in the Lord. And on the other hand, we've got many doubts, we've got many fears and many cries to the Lord. We wonder how can those things all be in one breast and all be happening at once in one person? Could that really be a child of God that has such a mixture of emotions, of feeling, of fears and of helps all at once. And yet we find it in the Psalms again and again. We have these ingredients of, on one hand, profession of what the Lord is and our trust in him. On the other hand, crying to the Lord for his help and a confessing of doubts of fears and in encouraging oneself in the Lord. So maybe be encouraged to really notice the psalms and the mixture of those feelings that the psalmist gives expression to. In this psalm, this psalm of David, there's four main subjects that are addressed in these 14 verses. The first one is a profession of the truths that he Believes In verse 1, we have the Lord is my light and my salvation. We have the profession that he is the strength of my life. We have also in verse 8 as well, uh, the uh, profession uh, that we would seek the face of the Lord. When thou said, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. There is the profession and uh, the knowledge that when my father, in verse 10, and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. And uh, these are things that are, are stated. I had fainted, verse 13, unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He had believed to see the goodness of the Lord. 
Have we got a profession? Have we got those things that we testify, that we believe and trust in? Do we have those things that we can truly say the Lord has shown us these things and made us to know these things? The man that had been born blind, he says, one thing I know, whereas I was blind, now I see. It's good to have those things that, as the Lord has promised to teach his children, those things that we say, the Lord has taught me that. No, as yet I may not have the Spirit's witness with my spirit that I am a child of God, that I don't have that assurance I would long for, yet I can say he's taught me this, or taught me that, things that I do know and am able to testify of and say. One thing I know, it's a great thing to have one lesson, one thing taught by the Lord, because where the Lord begins, he will always continue. And he'll finish that teaching to his honour and glory. So there is a profession. May we be able to come in with that part of the psalm, what the Lord is to us and what we believe in him. The next thing that runs right through this psalm, in fact, it's over half of the verses of this psalm, speak of the enemies that David had. The very first verse, Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? Verse 2, The wicked, even mine enemies, my foes. We have it in verse 3, Though an host should encamp against me. And and then in verse 5, Time of trouble. He, He shall hide me in his pavilion. All the time there's the enemies. Verse 6, as well, now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. In verse 11, lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. In verse 12, deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies. Running right through it. The child of God will have enemies, will have adversaries. We'll have those that rise up against us. We must not think that we go through this life and there will never be any that seek to attack us, attack our faith, undermine our hope, seek to drag us to hell, drag us back to the world, oppose us. David had many literal enemies, Saul, pursued him again and again before he came to be king. We think then his own son, Absalom, rose up against him. The Philistines all the time were seeking to attack them, other nations as well. Many rose up against him just because he was a child of God, didn't mean to say, he would not have those that opposed him. And even in his own uh, circle of friends, Ahithophel, who they walked together to the house of God together, yet he lifted up his heel against him, joined with Absalom, enemies in places he did not expect. 
What a lesson that is to us. The great adversary we have is Satan, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Our own hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The world is an enemy to a child of God. The Lord said, I have given them thy word, the people of God, my word, and the world hath hated them. We are on an enemy's territory, and that's so evident right through this psalm. A most solemn word in the word of God, the last enemy, the last enemy. And we're told the last enemy is death that shall be destroyed. For a child of God, when he dies, when they die, then the soul returns to God that gave it. And the Lord said, we are not to fear even those that kill the body and after that there's nothing more they can do. But fear him who hath power to cast into hell both body and soul. After death, for a child of God, they're out of reach of whatever this world might do. They might have, and they did, dig up the mortal remains of Oliver Cromwell and deal horribly with it, but they couldn't touch him, his soul. the last enemy, out of reach of Satan, out of reach of this world, and safe with the Lord. Victory at last. Thanks be unto God that giveth the victory. But until we brought to death, then we have many, many adversaries. The third thing that's evident through this psalm is prayer. Be something wrong, wouldn't it? If we had the people of God, we had their profession, we had their enemies, but they never prayed. Well, in this psalm we have the prayers that are running right through it, intertwined with it. In verse 4, those things that are desired of the Lord. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek after I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple is followed with breathings right through the psalm. Verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. The verse where our text is, we'll come back to that in a moment. There's prayers right through that. And then verse 11, teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. And in verse 12, deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, such as breathe out cruelty. So we have prayers, the breathings that run through here, and really in the prayers, do not we see the type or the one that is pointed to, the Lord Jesus Christ here, the false witnesses that rose up, the adversaries that were round about him, the 
path that he walked, a path that greatly mirrors all that is set forth in this psalm. But then there is the last verse, the answer to prayer. And really it is the advice and the direction, the secret. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So it's not a long psalm, but we have these subjects that that run through it. Well, I've read as our text, verse 9 and verse 14. And looking at these two verses, I want to consider firstly what the Lord has been and is. Then secondly, there's four things that David does not want the Lord to do. And in that way, I'd like to look at it not as David, but things that we can come in with David that we do not want the Lord to do. And then the answer of the Lord in verse 14, that encouragement in that verse. But firstly, what the Lord has been and is. Verse 9, Hide not thy face far from me, put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O my, O God of my salvation. So there's two things. My help, my salvation. Personal. How vital for a personal Knowledge of the truth. The idea that God has put away sin in the Lord Jesus Christ and that there's no more problem, there's no more need for any worry about sin. We can just live our lives. That is what is taught by some, as was believed by many. And the scriptures set before us a need of a personal faith, a personal trust of a real evidence of the Lord's work in us and that we give expression in this way to be able to say what the Lord has been to us and what the Lord is to us going back to the past and in the present to be really all of the people of God that will have these Two things. They'll have that of which they may say, raise an Ebenezer, hitherto hath the Lord helped me. As it were, we can't lose what the Lord has done. We can't have that taken away. We might forget it, but have the Spirit remember it to us again. And then it is what the Lord is to us, even now. Really, in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, we have those elements don't we we're to show forth the Lord's death that which is in the past what he has done 
For every one of his dear people suffered, bled and died on Calvary's tray. And what he is to us, he is our meat and drink. He is our only hope. We show forth his death till he doth come. We remember that which he has done for a present help, for a present salvation, a present deliverance. His precious blood shall never lose its power. No, not till the last one is brought safely home to glory. So I hope you can come or desire that the Lord give us a my, a personal. Thou hast been my help. Now we read in, I think it's Peter's epistles, having tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now the second part of this speaks of salvation. But in the first, that help, it doesn't just involve salvation, but it is the help of the Lord. It's like dear David when he went before Goliath and stood against him. He testified of how the Lord had helped him against the lion and against the bear. He had delivered him, he had saved him out of their paws. And he testified that that same God that had helped him against them would also help him and also deliver Goliath into his hand. Many times the Lord will give his people those tokens of his help in those little things, things of which they taste what it is to have an answer to prayer, what it is to have the Lord appear for them and they be able to see and trace his help in life's minutest circumstance. Now many that receive the benefits and helps from the Lord that never ascribe it to him. Our Lord cured ten lepers, but only one returned to give thanks unto God. We're not to think in this world that there is uh, two forces that are in action. One is just chance or the skill of surgeons. And the other is the Lord and what he does. When we go into a hospital ward and there might be six people in that ward and they're all got to have an operation. One of them is the Lord's people. One of them is seeking the Lord to bring them safely through, to guide the surgeons, to bless the work and to heal them. And the Lord does. And they give him the thanks and the glory for him. But then all of the other five, they're also brought safely through and but they, they've never asked the Lord for it and they don't give thanks for it, but the Lord's healed them anyway. The world would say, no, the Lord hasn't healed us. We didn't need him. We don't believe in him. And we've just had the same benefit. What was the use of your praying and your giving of thanks? And that is the unbelieving world. As if the Lord was not good to all, and his tender mercies over all his works, as if it was not the Lord that is the Saviour of all men, especially of them that believe. 
There is no two forces in the world. At the last judgment, the Lord shall say to those other five, I healed you all. You didn't ask for it, but I did it. And when I did it, you never acknowledged it, and you never gave me thanks. But this, my child, sought it. I healed them the same as you. And they acknowledged me. They gave thanks. They believed. And it's a great blessing to not listen to Satan, not listen to unbelief, but have that knowledge that the Lord had done these things. For this child I prayed, said Hannah, the Lord has given me my petition that I asked of him. The devil would say, well, it would have happened anyway. She says, no, the Lord hath heard it, and he has given me this petition. Those helps the Lord gives his People, they begin and maybe be able to trace those helps and see those helps in the smallest things, not reject them because the devil says, Well, you can't lay claim to that because you're not yet a child of God. You don't know whether you're one of God's children at all. It's just a chance that's happened. But the blessing is that you see it, you acknowledge it, and feel and know it is His hand that what is done, it matches your prayers. It matches what you desired of the Lord. Thou hast been my help. We'd know, wouldn't we? In a natural way, if someone had come to us and helped us, if we'd broken down on the road and we hadn't got a jack and someone stopped with the car and they'd got a good strong jack, lifted up the car, changed the wheel for us, we'd know that we'd received that help from them. Simon says, My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. It's a great blessing to be able to testify of that. Having received help, says Paul, of God, I continue unto this present day. I am what I am by the grace of God. Sometimes we might not realise the help that we have received. Sometimes we might see others that have similar trials and difficulties and they buckle under them and they can't continue under them. And then we realise the only reason why we have been able to continue is because of the help of the Lord. Or if the Lord withdraws that help and we suddenly start to fail and our poor minds can't continue and can't be supported and can't see things in a right way and are ready to give up and are full of despondency. And then we realise again what it has been to have those helps through the word and to be supported and able to see more clearly, be able to say, Thou hast been my help. I haven't got help in myself. I haven't got strength myself. I haven't got ability myself. Thou hast been my help. And that's a great encouragement. It's a great testimony to be able to say what the Lord has been and is to be able to go back to go back months or years and you go back after one thing and another thing and in many things we could 
to think of, maybe you can think of in your lives, and be challenged and say, you look at that. You say now that you had not received any help in the Lord in that. You deny the Lord helped you in that. Can you really look the Lord in the face and say that is not help me then? We can't say that. We can't do that. May we be able to look at what the Lord has done and be able to testify there has been my help. And there's an implication here that where the Lord has been the help of his people, he will continue to do so. He will not forsake. He will not give them to see help and to have them uh, look to him for it and then forsake them in that. That's implied here. But the second part of this is not only what the Lord has been, but what he is. O God of my salvation. That's who he is. O God of my salvation. He is the author of my salvation. He has planned it. He is the God that has decreed it. Who has given my poor unworthy name unto his son to redeem. His dear son has taken my course. He has suffered and bled and put away my sin. He has quickened my soul into life, passed by me and bid me live. He is the one that has taught me, instructed me, kept me. Salvation is deliverance from hell and deliverance to heaven. It is the complete saving power of Almighty God. O God of my salvation. There's a word in uh, Psalm 68 that has been uh, precious to me at times if I can uh, find it. In verse 20, uh, or verse 19 and 20, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Selah, pause and consider. In verse 20, He that is our God is the God of salvation, and unto God the Lord belong the issues from death. It's a blessed thing to realise that he that is our God is the God of salvation. That was not the case with the Israelites when they departed from the true and living God and followed Baal. Even in the case of lighting the fire under the uh, offerings, their sacrifice, they couldn't do. Their God was powerless to be able to do that. What a solemn thing to have a God that had no power, no mind, no ability at all. But what a blessed thing to have a God that is the God of salvation, that is able to save unto the uttermost all that come unto God by him. The God of my salvation, right from the beginning of it to the end of it, 
right from the first convictions of sin to the bringing to a full assurance of faith. O God of my salvation, may the Lord give us that same testimony, what the Lord has been and what he is to us today and tomorrow and the next day. Not the God of salvation one day and not the next. Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. The hymn writer says, Did Jesus once upon me shine? Then Jesus is forever mine. Well, secondly, there's four things that David does not want the Lord to do. And they may seem strange things to actually uh, say when there has been the profession that we've just spoken of. Does he really uh, feel and know that God is his salvation and uh, that he has been held from him? Well, it's all intermingled in this this verse. I, I, I have fucked out these two uh, things that what the Lord has been and what he is, but intermingled with it, there's the asking that the Lord would not do four things. And may we come in and instead of putting it in the words of David, make it to be our words, what we would ask the Lord, that he would not do these things for us. Often we would put it the other way around. We want the Lord to do something for us. We want the Lord to do something. But here is what we don't want him to do. Now first is, we do not want him to hide his face from us. Hide not thy face far from me. You know, when we had to have the mass, often well, the faces were hiding. And especially when you went in to see the old people, they couldn't recognise you. They couldn't see as a minister. You couldn't discern the, ex the expressions on the people's faces. Uh, and uh, they were hidden. I think of the executioners of, of Charles I. Uh, and, he, and he accused them. He, he said to them, are you ashamed? to meet me with open face because they had visors on so that people couldn't see who they were that was actually carrying out the execution. The Lord is to be viewed with open face. The Apostle says when we shall see the Lord we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. But when we see the Lord here below, when we see him in the lattice of the word, then that is where we reflect what we see of him. But if the Lord hides his face, we cannot see him. We cannot see his expression. We might go and visit uh, perhaps another chapel or go and visit a company and there's a person there and we know them and perhaps we have talked to them at other times. But though we're there, 
We never see their face. They don't turn to us and look at us, say hello or how are you. We see them talking to other people. We see them with their back to us. But we never catch their eye. And we never see a smile. And we never read what they're, they're thinking towards us at all. And you know that's not very nice if you think, well, that person, I, I, have I offended them? Have I upset them? They're not even looking at me. And we rely on when we're having interaction one with another of actually seeing each other. You know, how often would a, a parent or a teacher, when they're going to reprove a child, say we've done something wrong, I know it was when I was a child, and we'd be looking at the ground and we couldn't, couldn't look at the teacher and or couldn't look at your parent and look at me, you look at me. And you had to look at the parent or look at the teacher and you'd see that they were cross and they'd see that they're angry with you. You could read. And they didn't want you just to look away. But here's the psalmist, he says, Hide not thy face far from me. He wanted to see the face of the Lord. He wanted the Lord to look towards him and not away from him. May that be what we desire as well. What a difference to Adam. When the Lord came into the garden, Adam hid himself. He didn't want to, he couldn't look to the Lord. But when we think of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we think of what he says in this psalm, O God of my salvation, What a difference when we see in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ the good pleasure of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord. We see his favour towards us. You think of the men, the blind men by the wayside. Their son of David, have mercy upon me. And what does he do? Does he just turn away his face and just walk on and ignore them? No. He stops, he turns to them, he looks to them. They can't see, they're blind. His face is towards them. He asks them what they would that he should do. Lord, that we might receive our sight. And the Lord gave them sight. The woman, the Syrophoenician woman, how that she kept on after the Lord. She wanted him to look toward her. To hear her, to answer her. Hide not thy face far from me. And may that be what we don't want the Lord to do to us, to hide his face from us. We want to see him in the lattice of the word. We want to see his face in providence. We want to be able to say, this is the Lord's doing, it is marvellous in our eyes. We want to see... Uh, that which he feels towards us. Then there's a second thing. We don't want him to put us away in anger. No, Joseph was put away. He's put away in prison, falsely accused, hidden from society. 
not able to be of a use at all. But you know, we, we read the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. He wasn't put away in anger, not by the Lord. But he was in a sense put away. I was thinking of this in a, in a practical way. And say if you're working in the kitchen, doing cooking, or if you're working in the garden, doing gardening, and you might have had some bowls out doing some cooking, you use them, and then you put them away. You wash them up and you put them away in the cupboard. Or you've used your spade and your fork, and you wash, finish them, and you put them away in the shed. When you put it away, it's not being used anymore. But it's not in anger. They will be taken out and they will be used again. And I thought on this, with the people of God, if they're put away and put away in anger, the Lord's displeasure, put away with the sense, I will not use you, I don't want to see you, I don't want you in my presence again. You're of no use in my vineyard, no use to my people, no use amongst the people of God or in the church of God. I'm just going to put you away. <coughs> just like we put some utensils away with the intention of never using them again till we take them out and take them down to the op shop or just throw them in the bin. And this is what the psalmist says. Put not thy servant away in anger. Uses his term servant as if put not away the one that thou wilt use as a servant. To serve thee, to obey thee, to be of use to thee. So that's the second thing. The third is that we don't want the Lord to leave us or to go away from us. Sometimes we might have with the young children, especially when they first start in school, and you take them to the school, and then they don't want us to leave them. They might be in tears, and they don't want us to go and leave them there and to, to go home. Often remember with our two, and how we had to leave them crying like that and then spent the rest of the day worrying and only to come back to pick them up and they didn't want to go home and they'd had a lovely day and they'd gone on really well uh, and there we worried all day about them, about leaving them. But it is a picture here of the people of God not wanting to be put in a place and then just left brought to a country and then just left, brought to a church and then just left, brought to a place of employment and then just left, just left one's own devices and left alone. Leave, do not leave us, leave me not. The presence of the Lord you know, sometimes, especially like an apprentice or one that is learning, I know I was like this when I was learning, 
and the one I was learning from, he'd start to show me what to do. And I suddenly think, I know it all. I know what to do. But I need you now. You can go and leave me. You, you go to your own work. I'll do this. And then off he goes. And then I suddenly think, well, actually, there's something I don't know. I wish he was still here. I could ask him now. But he's gone. And when you realise your own weakness, then you don't want one to leave us. And the Lord will make sure with his people that we don't get to say, well, we're going to pray for the Lord's help. We're going to pray for an opening. And as soon as he starts to work in providence, then we stop praying. Many times we can be like that. We get to a certain way. We have someone that is going into hospital for an operation. We pray that they'll be safely brought through. They're safely brought through and we stop praying. Might give thanks for that. Think, hang on a minute, you've got the recovery yet. There's many still things that need to be doing. And, and what about it being sanctified? What about it being blessed? Not just the healing of the body, but for the soul as well. If we know the Lord's hell, and we know how dependent we are upon him, then we won't want him to leave us. Just leave us in a situation to our own devices, our own way, our own wisdom, our own understanding. This is the third thing. We do not want the Lord to do. The fourth thing is even stronger, and that is that we do not want him to forsake us, that is, abandon us or desert us. When we think of our Lord, when he was coming to Calvary, they all forsook him and fled. And then on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The very things that the people of God are saying, do not do for me, the Lord endured. And the Lord went through, endured this for his people, neither forsake me. May this be a direction also to us in our prayers. Our prayers are not only to be things that we want the Lord to do for us. They can also be things that we don't want the Lord to do. Well, then we have the third point, and that is the answer of the Lord. Verse 9 was what the Lord has been and is. And then these four things that the psalmist did not want the Lord to do. But in the 14, there's a direction. Direction from the Lord. A direction to him. A direction to us each. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Twice reaffirm to wait on the Lord. Often it is when we're in trials and on tribulations, there is a time factor in it. The Lord waits to be gracious. He proves us whether we have got some other help or not. There's a reason why Israel had to 40 days flee from the presence of Goliath. 
so that it could be clearly seen. There wasn't a help in Saul, there wasn't a help in any other, but there was when the Lord provided David and Goliath was slain. Forty is a testing time and there's a reason for the delays and the waiting of the Lord. A reason why Moses had to wait the 40 years while he was in Pharaoh's household, 40 years in the desert, before he should then lead the children of Israel through the wilderness. There's a time for the Lord to appear and the Lord's people are to wait. Your time is always ready, my time is not yet. But we are to be encouraged, to be of good courage in the Lord. He shall strengthen thine heart. Why? Waiting on the Lord with a weak, trembling, fearful heart. And yet the promise, he shall strengthen thine heart. Waiting is not just in the attitude of a time, but waiting on the Lord that our eyes are looking to him for help. Mine eyes are ever Toward the Lord, says the psalmist. He shall pluck my feet out of the net. It's an attitude of which the soul is directed, that they be looking in one direction for help. When we think of salvation, there is only one name given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other name given among men there is no other Saviour, no other Redeemer. There is only one God of salvation and one way of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ alone and through faith in Him. It's a blessed thing when we are brought to that that our eyes are solely upon the Lord and that we are looking to Him alone for our salvation. The strength He gives His dear people is by faith when their faith is fastened upon him and their help and their strength comes from the Lord, out of weakness made strong, a people that are dependent upon the Lord for all that they have. And that's why they don't want him to hide his face from them. They don't want him to put them away. They don't want him to leave them or to forsake them because their eyes are ever towards the Lord, they need him. God's people are to be a dependent people, people that rely on the Lord. And if that is you tonight, may not be a mark against you, it's a mark for you, that you may truly say that this is all my hope, all my desire is in the Lord. There is no other direction, no other way but the Lord and the Lord only. Now we have the uh, two verses here, two parts, but really the whole psalm is the breathings of a living soul. Many different things in the one breast, in the one heart, reflecting what really is the case with the children of God. May it be our case as well. And the Lord bless us with this cry and the answer. 
and they had helped to wait on the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord, we are told in Isaiah, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The Lord and his blessing. Amen.